When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There was an idea, the Avengers initiative. I can do this all day. I'm a superhero. I come to bargain. I love you, please, Hansen. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. You should have gone for the head. And I... Wakanda forever! Why is Gamora? Iron Man. We are... Welcome to a brand new episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom, where we try to give you the deepest possible dives into all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me today are Den of Geek TV Editor Extraordinaire Alec Bajalad and the best pop culture writer around, Mr. Dr. Joe George. This episode of Marvel Standom is powered by eBay. We'll be talking more about that soon. But first, let's dig into the third episode of Loki Season 2, 1893, where Loki and Mobius hit the Chicago World's Fair in an attempt to beat Ravona Renslayer and Miss Minutes to the punch by ensnaring a valuable He Who Remains variant called Victor Timely. Guys, what did you think of this episode? I'll start with you first, Alec. I liked it. It's going to become pretty clear pretty quickly uh, amongst all of us that how you feel about this episode is how you feel about Jonathan Major's performance. And I I guess that just caught me in the right mood and I was here for that weird bullshit. So (laughs) I was into it. I I think the Marvel Universe needs weird little guys. And I'm I'm glad that uh, we have one in the form of Victor Timely now. Something about the delivery of just stuttering over the, 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 not stuttering over Madame Mazelle, but stuttering over minutes. It's like, oh, Mademoiselle, uh, 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 minutes. Nice to meet you. It's is funny to me. This was a pretty, pretty indicative of what I like about Loki is that it's equal parts creative and off the wall, but also just like unrepentantly goofy, completely dedicated to being irreverent and strange. Um, I give it a thumbs up. How about you, Joe? I, I second all, just to be clear, we're saying that it depends how much uh, you feel or what you feel about Jonathan Major's performance, not personal life, right? Because performance wise, it's fantastic. I thought this was the best episode of the series so far. I, and for all of the reasons that Alec pointed out, it's superheroes in general need to be goofy and they need to not take themselves seriously. And my goodness, this was so goofy. And, and you guys had already kind of primed me for, uh, for uh, Major's performance here. I think, the 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 weekend after the screeners dropped, Kirsty, you slacked me and said, "Does Victor Timely talk with an accent in the comics?" And at first, I was like, "Oh, I mean, I talk with the stutter." I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be bad." But everybody's kind of pitched at that level. Like it, it's it's the fact that he's a mad scientist, sure, but like all of the robber barons are all over the top and and goofy, and there's a giant Miss Minutes ghost kaiju. I mean. 
I if he were the only one doing that, uh, kind of like it is in in Ant Man, uh, Quantum Mania, where everybody else is kind of normal and he's doing that weird, you know, Ant Man thing uh then it, it it clangs a little bit but i thought he was pulling the tone to to goofy land and that's good <laughs> i really like this episode um apart from jonathan major's performance i liked uh miss minutes everything was miss minutes was fantastic the more unhinged it got the more i was there for it um loved seeing um goo goo back as Ravona, um, just just all good. Um, but that that performance from Majors for me is like nails down a blackboard. And I know some people have had a, a, a problem with him as he who remains. They didn't like that performance. They thought it was too much. Um, but this for me, this is my. Um, I think if we recall how Mike was about um, Stephen Grant in Moonlight. <laughs> that, that that was this. This was that for me. I just didn't. It was too pantomime, too amdram, and it just, it took me right out of the episode. But other than that, I thought it was pretty solid. And um, I, I did like the way it ended too. Um, I, th- I think the fact, Kirsten, that you don't like that performance makes me like it more. Not because I, <laughs> I distrust your taste. You have very good taste and opinions. Do I? I? Like, <laughs> like a character like that should absolutely be grading to like at least no fewer than 25% of the people who view it. <laughs> like at least 25% of the people who watch it should say like, this is too much. This is absolutely too much. Um, so it almost, it, it almost kind of confirms to me that I love it. There aren't too many performances, even outside of Marvel stuff where I've gone, Oh, that's, there were some decisions there that I, you know, and they just let them go for it. But it just was hard to watch. And it was a lot, especially that the opening scene with Victor Timely on the on the stage where he's sort of really putting on the performance. I was I just remember at the end of Ant-Man, that was such a goofy movie. And then that that post-credit scene where Loki sees uh, Victor Timely on stage was actually quite like haunting and troubling. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is going to be really dramatic and 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 re- there's going to be a real weight to it. And then when you see him, he's just, it's just like a Punch and Judy show. You know, it's, it's very, <laughs> very silly. There was a lot of good stuff in this episode, though. But th- what the, the thing that didn't, that I didn't quite understand, and perhaps you guys can explain it to me, especially Alec, who is the uh, time travel explainer. Um, in Loki now, there is... I guess what would be called a causal loop. Is that correct? Where they go back in time, they give the TVA book to a young variant of he who remains. He grows up and invents the temporal loom. And then he who remains or a variant then ends straight back on top again of the TVA because it's in a circle. It's it's circular, a loop. Also, OB writes the guidebook that then is sent back in time. So it, it does seem like um, something that would be easy to understand. And yet I find myself confused about how this could work inside the time travel rules of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Joe, I know you're a screw the, screw the rules type of person. Mm-hmm. And I know, are you going to say it now? Are we in a screw the rules situation where you don't really care about the whether this makes sense or? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, screw the rules. It's 
the the defining element of thinking about uh, time travel came from Bill and Ted's excellent adventure when he says trash can remember the trash can to go back in time and drop the trash can on his dad when Ted says that in order to get out of Bill and Ted at that time or Bill or Ted going back in time to steal his dad's keys to leave them there for the present Ted as long as it pays off in a joke or a scare or or something interesting like this is how he who remains came to be then the rules don't matter have you seen primer primer makes sense and sucks so <laughs> it's not about it it's not about time travel making sense it's all about the emotional payoff whatever that is screw the rules this is perfect it's funny you bring up primer obviously a very problematic time travel thing to enjoy <laughs> yeah 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 and i do and so <laughs> oh wow i love that's on me. i guess i'm 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 the problematic prince right now <laughs> no no i love no i love primer too I, I do love it but um yeah what was i gonna say next i can't remember i don't know your credibility is all gone now that we're yeah. talking nice about primer. i'm so tired i'm so tired <laughs> I can uh, I can jump in here. So like that that paradox of Ravona brings the thing back for Victor Timely, but it was written by Ob, who was inspired by Victor Timely, who in turn was inspired by Ob. That's just like a time travel thing that we're not supposed to figure out. There's a name for it. It's the temporal paradox, or like the grandfather paradox. I think it's called the grandfather paradox because it's like the paradox of if you go back in time and kill your grandfather well then how were you born to go back in time and kill your grandfather i don't think it's really loki's job to figure that out because none of us can either like it's not something that like scientists are in like a secret room right now like figuring out <laughs> it's like no it, it's a paradox for a reason like nobody knows how this works because our our little brains uh can't process time travel because it's probably impossible um, but yeah, just Google temporal paradox or grandfather paradox. There, it's all over pop culture. Every every time travel show worth its salt has its moment with the TVA handbook of the question of like, wait, where did this thing even come from? Like, who actually created this? If it was Obi was inspired by Victor Timely, who was inspired by Obi, who was inspired by Victor Timely, who was inspired by Obi. And then you just go around in a circle until the heat death of the universe. But it's just like a nice little brain tickler. Like it, it's it's supposed to be fun for the audience to be like, wait a minute, where did it really come from? And the answer is, I don't know. I guess it doesn't make sense. It double it does double doesn't make sense in the MCU, <laughs> does it? Because they've explained the time travel in Endgame. They they go back. You change something. You create a a branch timeline. The TVA comes along and prunes it. They're not doing that anymore. So going back on the sacred timeline and giving that book to Victor Timely should create a branch timeline and not continue on that timeline. But uh, I can't understand it. And I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't expect to. So that's OK. I've, I've I just still don't really understand how the branches work at this point. <laughs> I know at the beginning of the episode, they just mentioned offhand that the, the branches that Doc's prune grew back anyway. So, like, did, did trillions of people really die, or did like those same people come back in the same timelines or those new timelines? How many timelines are there? How many timelines are too much? What is a timeline? How do they break? Like, <laughs> I've I've lost my mind. What's the difference between a universe and a timeline, Joe? 
There is no, there's no difference. It, it's, <laughs> that's okay. They're the same. We used to use in, in comic book talk before multiverse stuff got overdone. You just say a possible timeline or a possible future, right? Like uh, in X-Men, Rachel Summers or Cable are from possible futures. Now they would say they're from multiverses, but that's not uh, just it's it's something that could happen in the main timeline. But you don't. Why get all worked up about that? I don't. We don't need to. We'll just forget about it and just enjoy the show. It's fine. We're all going to die soon. So we're all going (laughs) to die. Well, you and me first, Joe, because Alex very young. Thank you for that. But yes, you're right. We'll come back to Loki season two, episode three in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics, both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must-haves for any fan of Kang. Avengers 8. Technically, Kang the Conqueror first appeared in Fantastic Four 19 in 1963 as the cruel pharaoh Rama Tut, but a blue-faced guy called Kang the Conqueror didn't really show up until Avengers 8 in 1964. Although he would go on to be one of the most persistent enemies of Earth's mightiest heroes, Kang initially just had a lot of high-tech weaponry to fight the Avengers. Simple as that might sound, Avengers 8 works because of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Between Kirby's action and Lee's distinctive dialogue, it's easy to see how the Avengers thrilled readers of the 1960s, making the Marvel Universe the powerhouse it is today. The Mighty Avengers 69 MCU fans are just getting to know Kang but comic book fans know that the character has a lot more to offer than the energy blasts he used in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The Mighty Avengers 69 features one of Kang's most wonderfully weird aspects, a tiny robot who gets larger when it gets attacked. The name of this devious invention? The Growing Man. Eventually, Mighty Avengers 69 gives way to a standard Kang vs. Avengers story, and even introduces the Squadron Supreme, an evil version of DC Comics' Justice League who will terrorize the Marvel Universe again and again. But are they more interesting than the Growing Man? Of course not! Avengers Annual 21 The good thing about being a time traveler is that you can play the long game, and few games are longer than the plot Kang hatches in Avengers Annual 21. After once again losing to the Avengers, Kang visits rural Wisconsin in 1901. There, he takes the identity of inventor Victor Timely and founds a city in his name, bringing fantastic machinery to its citizens. Over the years, Kang stages Victor Timely's death and takes the identity of his son, Victor Timely Jr. Why does Kang set up a multi-generational stronghold in the middle of Wisconsin? Well, it's not to control America's cheese supplies, but to influence Dr. Phineas Horton, the scientist who will later create the Avenger called The Vision. Will this dastardly plan be enough to finally beat the Avengers? Probably not, but it's still a great story. Avengers Forever 1 Time travel stories always create headaches, and no Kang story is as headache-inducing as the 12-part series Avengers Forever. The story brings together a collection of Avengers from across history, including Ant-Man in his cantankerous yellow jacket persona, and a Captain America whose faith has been shattered as part of a war between Kang and his older and despised self, Immortus. 
We'll be honest, Avengers Forever 1 is intentionally confusing as writer Kurt Busiek fills the story with deep Marvel Universe lore. But the story makes more sense as it goes along, especially after the setup delivered in Part 1. As Kang and Immortus' plans come together, Avengers Forever develops into one of the best stories of the hero team. Avengers 41 the title of the next Avengers MCU film doesn't come from ancient history, but from a great Avengers adventure in the early 2000s. The Kang Dynasty finally gives us the Kang we've always wanted to see ever since his introduction in the 1960s. Finally, the Conqueror has used all the power at his disposal to defeat the Avengers and conquer Earth. The story kicks off with Avengers 41, in which the Avengers battle the Scarlet Centurion, one of Kang's common variants. But as the battle rages on, the heroes learn that this Centurion isn't what he appears to be, revealing a much more powerful and dangerous Kang. The Kang Dynasty is epic comic book storytelling at its best, setting a high bar for the MCU to clear when they adapt the tale. Head on over to ebay.com today to start or expand your collection. And now, back to the show. So there's been a lot of chat about Miss Minutes' arc in season two. She went from helpful AI at the TVA to um, at least vaguely threatening AI in the finale of Loki season one. She's been MIA for the first two episodes. She's back in episode three and she's very horny. If you don't mind me saying so, really extremely horny for her maker, um, He Who Remains, but maybe not Victor Timely. She's very attached to the one specifically who made her. Um, do we approve of Miss Minutes becoming quite stalky and and threatening and, and horny, or do we, do we feel that's not right for this AI clock at this point in the timeline? This is a long trope in, I mean, not just comic books, but especially in comic books of either either the AI falling in love with its creator or just as often, at least in DC comics, or I guess in Marvel with Jocasta does the same thing, doesn't it? Um, where uh, the creator, who is usually a man, creates a hot robot lady and then programs her to fall in love with him. So I do appreciate that there's the way that this is presented is that this is Miss Minutes having agency falling in love with uh, Vic slash he who remains. Um, no, that's great. Uh, why would you not want that? It's AI is supposed to go evil and kill everybody. That's what we want. And if this is this is how it goes, then I'm all for that. So I was going to say that Loki and Mobius are like counting on Miss Minutes to not go crazy and kill everyone. They want they they want to <laughs> effectively, you know, hopefully use her to save the TVA at some point. Very foolish of them, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> very foolish indeed. <laughs> they better hope Victor Timely does the trick. If anything, like I think it's fun if anything i feel like they could have gotten even more crass with it <laughs> like, <laughs> um but i mean granted that's probably a fairly extreme position on my part but like i i wouldn't have minded if like she had made even clear she's trying to get those clock cheek clapped do clocks have cheeks yeah i'm more confused about that statement than anything with the time travel <laughs> conversation I'll how does that work? It's like the grandfather paradox. You don't have to understand it for it to be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>
could you guys date someone uh, that it was, was a clock? <laughs> well, <laughs> whose face was always telling you the time is what I was going to say. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my wife's is not good at hiding her emotions on her face. So she's always telling me what she's thinking and how much time I have to live. So, yeah. <laughs> when you find the one, their face should tell you everything. <laughs> including the time <laughs> i'm a little bit concerned joe i mean if you want to you know hold up uh like a, <laughs> if you need help just yeah just that's right go away for now. <laughs> yeah i'm looking out to the door there <laughs> so there are a few easter eggs in this episode not that many um the first one we spotted was that on the poster advertising Victor Timely, uh, there was also someone, a musician called Ferdinand Lang, um, which may or may not be any relation to Scott Lang. Um, but it would explain maybe where he got his musical talent from. Um, there's also the ship that they get onto. It's called the SS Heron. Uh, Loki season one was directed by Kate Heron. So we feel like that might be a little nod to her. They also talk about the serial killer H.H. Holmes, who was around at uh, the time of the Chicago World's Fair. I don't have a lot of knowledge of H.H. H. H. Holmes. Um, apart from I played the Dark Pictures anthology game, The Devil in Me, in which you were a character that had to escape being killed by him at the Chicago World's Fair. Is he like common knowledge in the US and his crimes like something that you guys like you get taught about in school, maybe elementary school you get in and it's like here's here's the most important serial killers in our country's history. Um, <laughs> we, we don't have that in our serial killer list. Oh, no. Okay. Do you um, guys have that? I mean, obviously, yeah. That's why I asked. So, Jack the Ripper class. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, age when we talk about serial about killers that. or important serial killers in America, we're usually talking about our presidents. So <laughs> I don't really frame oh, it like that. Got him. <laughs> I, I feel like, in as much as serial killers could come in and out of vogue in a very distasteful way, um, I feel like H. H. Holmes only became a thing somewhat recently. I think because whenever the like was it the book The Devil in the White City. Oh, um, that is that the one that Scorsese wanted to do? H.H. Mm -hmm. Holmes was not on a Jack the Ripper, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer level until somewhat recently when they wrote a book about him, which is why I think it's weird that like uh, Mobius was so hyped about it. Like that's like literally the second thing he mentioned after the Chicago World's Fair. The Chicago <laughs> World's Fair, sick. H.H. Holmes is here. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. <laughs> So are you familiar with the crimes of H.H. Holmes? I, I assume that you, uh, as a murder, a, a huge fan of murderings, would be up to date on the Chicago World's Fair killings. Who did you ask that question to? You! Me? I'm not a fan <laughs> of murderings. No, that all went by me. I mean, I've heard of the book, but and I've been to Chicago many, 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 many times, but uh, no, I have no knowledge about H.H. Holmes. I like I like pretend murders very very much. Not a fan of real murders. So you're not a true crime fan? I I hate true crime. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm I'm a, a white 
person in my 40s. So <laughs> I actually legally have to watch and listen to and read about true crime at least 25% of my waking day. So another thing, uh, probably the main Easter egg in this episode, though, was the Boulder the Brave uh, area of the wooden diorama at the World's Fair. Uh, Loki g- giving off a very, like, I don't know her type of attitude and um maybe it's being like of course you know Boulder the brave everyone knows him um he has so well they've been trying to get him in the mcu since the first thor movie and they failed they most recently failed in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness where they were trying to put him on the illuminati squad um he was going to be played by daniel craig uh, but it didn't happen and so boulder is finally sort of in the MCU after this episode of Loki. He's Thor half he's Thor's half-brother, is he Joe? I think it depends on who's writing him, but he's been there from the start, right? He's been there from the start. He's not part of the Warriors three, but he's he's kind of like Sif level, like uh Lady Sif level, sort of another Asgardian warrior. Um I he's Actually, kind of Hercules would be more of the level that he's at. He's got he gets his own adventures. He's an important person in Asgard, and it's kind of. I feel I'm not a big hardcore Thor person, but I feel bad for Thor fans because I feel like I feel like that's one of the characters that they really want to see and and kind of want to see some more traditional, you know, Jack Kirby, Walt Simonson style Thor adventures. If that's not going to be Hemsworth, then maybe Balder can take over that. And I imagine for this, this scene felt for them like, you know, the, the thumb in their eye, like they're looking at it like, yeah, it would be really great to get Balder. And no, you don't know who he is because you've never in, in, integrated him. So, yeah, it was a bit of a bummer for them. One thing I think we haven't talked about yet, and it's not particularly relevant to this episode, but I'm interested in what you guys think, um, is who Mobius is going to be revealed as being in normal timeline as who what what person is he and what was his life before he became part of the tva and do you feel that's going to be one of the big twists of this season i would hope not i mean like i hope there's not like a uh like a mark like a obscure marvel connection to him i i just assumed that he was like just kind of like a laid-back surfer bro somewhere <laughs> is why he's so attached to jet skis I think people are starting to theorize about this. Joe's got a look on his face like maybe he has theories, so I'm just going to go straight. I'll tell you what I want. It's the exact opposite of what Alec wants. So I don't know (laughs) if I've ranted about this on the show yet. I know I have in articles, but uh, Mobius is based on Mark Grunewald, who is a longtime uh, Marvel, was a longtime Marvel writer and editor and was particularly known for being a continuity cop within uh within marvel and so when you know i mean they they had like mark wade and kurt Busiek and and roy thomas these guys who kind of always knew what was going on you know if quicksilver broke his leg in an issue of avengers he better not show up in an issue of x-men or something without uh, you know with his leg working and and gruenwald was one of the people that would really stamp down on that and so his look his his attitude all of that in the comics is based on grunewald and there are aspects of that to um to uh the mobius that we get in 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 the show the mustache the tie he's uh got more hair owen wilson but um outside of that he is he does look a lot like uh grunewald so my hope is that they're going to reveal that he works in the marvel offices that not 
in the way that they do it in the comics, where Marvel Comics is a thing within Marvel Comics who tells fictionalized adventures of Marvel's heroes, kind of like in Logan. You know, they've got the movie Logan. They, they've got the X-Men comic books. And he's like, oh, these are all made up. That's straight from the comics. And so I'm hoping that Mobius will turn out to have been an editor at Marvel Comics who kind of knows all of this stuff or even better can be, you know, the the. <laughs> be an actual editor from our world which within marvel comics god is the one above all which is usually jack kirby sometimes stanley if he gets his way and sometimes another editor so mobius could be god in this world but at the very least i want him to be somebody who works for marvel i feel like they may have uh shot their load on that one in the she hulk finale but who knows I yeah, the Marvel said... Cinematic Universe has one god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Um, any final thoughts on episode three of season two of Loki? Joe? I have a thought. And you and I argued about this Friday afternoon where I could tell oh, you were no. like, oh, you were like, just <laughs> shut up. No, I so I wrote about it in that. an article. <laughs> no, you you should be. So I, I don't have a firm and hard answer for this, but my my belief here is that Victor Timely is the prime he who remains um, that that uh, this episode establishes that every other Kang, Immortus, Centurion, all of these other ones are spinoffs of the young man who grew up in the Midwest in the late 19th century. Um which if you want to read the article, did, did we ever run that? I don't know if it ran. Um, I didn't double check, but I, I is a huge change from the comic books. But for these purposes and for people telling me I'm wrong from here on out, I'm going to talk about all Kang variants, all he who remains variants as variants of Victor Timely. He is the prime one. But Miss Minutes says he'll never be he who remains. She seems very convinced that he's not good enough to be him oh i trust a psycho do trust the corny <laughs> psycho clock that's a really good point no he's still <laughs> she may have spun things off now where he won't she he'll never become her version of he who remains he's going to become all of them okay well i guess we'll see he's or maybe fine. not this show doesn't seem that interested <laughs> in answering our questions and that's fine that's right um, well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Marvel Standom. It was a pleasure to have you. Make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. Uh, don't forget to check out our web home at denofgeek.com where you can find all our Marvel coverage. You can also follow us on Den of Geek US on Twitter and Den of Geek on Instagram. If you need more, all episodes of Marvel Standom are available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks once again to the sponsor of this episode, eBay. Be sure to check them out for all your Marvel-related collectibles. This has been Marvel Standom on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, please be good to each other and stay safe. Thank you for listening to Marvel Standom, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard, and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music licensed from soundstripe.com. 
Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com. 